Hi, I'm Naomi Murphy and this is the Locked Up Living podcast where we talk with a wide range of people about harsh aspects of institutional life. We also explore some of the ways to overcome them and to grow and develop. I'm David Jones. So join us every Wednesday morning, 6 o'clock UK time for a fresh podcast. So today we're pleased to hear from to have here with us to talk about um, safe and sound Leah Darwang, who serves as Unite's partnership cultivation manager, envisaging all members of the helping and healing communities, linking arms in love and transforming the world. Leah has a background in the safe and sound protocol, um, somatic experiencing, internal family systems, and interpersonal neurobiology. And her somatic restoration practice, Clear the Way, is devoted to creating the conditions for healing and clearing the effects of trauma, blocking one from receiving unconditional love. And I was interested to have Leah onto the podcast because I'd following vagus nerve interest in Stephen Porges, I'd seen that Stephen Porges had devised this protocol to help. Uh, people with specific um, difficulties which we'll come on to talk more about um, and so really pleased Leah that you're well, that you were willing to come on and spend some time with us thinking about that today. It's a pleasure to be here. Hi Leah very nice to meet you and thanks very much for coming and coming along and meeting with us. Can I just clarify you're one of our American uh, guests um, and uh, are you in Denver, Colorado? Is that right? Yes. Yep. I am located in Denver on the unceded land of the Arapaho and the Ute tribe. Mm-hmm. And, and I've been here uh, my whole life, actually. I've, I've always lived in Denver. So. Oh, brilliant. That's really interesting. So, Leah, can you tell us something about your professional journey? How did you come to be working for Unite? My professional journey is long and winding. Um, the short condensed version, uh, I actually was working in the tech startup world. And uh, in that world, I had all kinds of my own trauma that had been carrying around with me for years and never had language to say it, never had language to describe it and didn't know that that's what was going on. I thought it was normal. And working with this tech startup that then got purchased by a very large company and um, worked for them for three years, always loved psychology, didn't study it in university actually, because I was dealing with my own stuff. And uh, then I had this real big moment where I just said, I'm not happy at all <laughs> and I'm gonna quit. And I did and I quit and I traveled the world for about a year And then I actually ended up going to a leadership academy based in Spain. And it um, upended a lot of what I thought I believed and gave me really good, a really good container to wrestle out what it is I, who I am and what it is I believe. And from there um, had received measures of what I would now call healing memory reconsolidation, things that were getting replaced in my, in my being, my, um, you know, the ways that I was perceiving the world. And from there decided, I really, really want to help people. That's what I want to do. And uh, so I started training in all these different ways of going about that. And I was working at a restaurant and a coffee shop and then COVID hit. I feel like that's a big stamp in everyone's story. And then COVID. 
and uh, ended up getting furloughed and, and laid off from both of those jobs and had sworn off corporate, never going to go back. Um, and I looked for a job one time and the first job I found was at Unite. And when I read what it is that they're doing, I had a somatic reaction and everything in me knew I need to, I need to do this. Um, and so I did. So that was that you had an epiphany, yeah. um, which led you to Spain. Um, mm -hmm. Was it something about the work environment that was so kind of challenging and unpleasant? Um, I, it wasn't the work environment itself. I think that when you know who you are, you can be placed in any work environment and um, be yourself, right? Because you know who you are. I didn't know who I was. I had a mask so thick on my system. My nervous system was in such a state of protection that I was showing up to this place and trying to be who I thought they wanted me to be versus who I am. And so it wasn't the work environment itself. I think it was me and my own system um, that needed the attention. Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Maybe we'll come back to that okay. later on. I was watching a film recently, which reminded me of something you said. Anyway, tell mm -hmm. us about Unite, because Unite, and I should stress that we have a trade union over here called Unite, but it's spelled with an I rather than a Y. What does your Unite do? Oh, gosh. Um, so I might start with a little bit of backstories. Um, people's histories, including companies, are important. So Unite is two companies that came together. Unite is a Canadian-based company that has its histories in biofeedback and guided meditation. And then there's this company called ILS, or Integrated Listening System, based in Denver, Colorado. And about two years ago, they came together. And ILS had, has the focus system and was partnered with Dr. Porges. And um, Unite and ILS came together to create Unite as we know it now. And with really this mission to say, oh, what would it be like if we harnessed the power of technology, paired it with the subjective humanity of a human, right, of a provider, of someone who carries compassion and kindness and embodiment. What if we were to put those two things together and in an effort to support every person in nervous system regulation? Our mission is um, very grand and very big and I, I love it. <laughs> I'm an idealist by trade. Um, and it's this idea that our, our mission is to um, guide every single person to repatterning their nervous system so that they can effectively engage with life's challenges while also living more happy, healthy, and um, fulfilling lives. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that uh, comes from Unite is, is something called the uh, Safe and Sound Protocol. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? Oh, this is a 
This is a deep love of mine. <laughs> you tell me if, I, if I'm too long-winded. And the Safe and Sound Protocol. It's developed by Dr. Stephen Porges, author of Polyvagal Theory, who's actually our chief scientific uh, advisor. So he works very, very closely with Unite. And the Safe and Sound Protocol is music at its most base, basic. But it's not just any type of music, although folks who listen to it would likely recognize it. They're popular songs, um, jazz, folk, pop, Disney music is on the child's playlist or on the child's pathway. And this music is really important and really special because it's been put through an algorithm designed by Dr. Porges. And the algorithm has systematically teased out high and low frequencies. So the highs of say the flute or the highs of the treble in or a soprano in, in the music, as well as the lows is like the bass, the guitar or the bass guitar, the, the kick drum, the beat, right? Has been removed and that leaves a middle set of frequencies. Now this middle envelope of frequencies anywhere between 500 to 5,000 Hertz. It's really important because of the way that our body or our, um, our ears consume that frequency range. And it's the, actually the envelope of the human voice. So 500 to 5,000 Hertz, it's the sounds I'm making right now. All the music is uh, put through this algorithm, leaving this envelope. And so therefore it is five hours of cues of safety. This envelope of the human voice is the way that our body takes in these cues of safety and to have five hours of those cues delivered over a period of time. It's not five hours straight of listening, but it helps your body, your nervous system go. <sighs> and for someone who's experienced trauma, for someone who has whether it's uh, discrete acute trauma or developmental trauma, our systems are going, <gasps> right? There's so much built up in there and to have something that is passive where you're not having to tell the story to help you simmer down and settle in, it's really powerful. Well, Naomi is the expert in this and I know she's, experienced it um but but to me it sounds like it could be a cheap hi-fi system what is that cheap hi-fi cheap hi-fi oh, that's cool you <laughs> calling you out david <laughs> yeah. mostly men have spent fortunes trying to get the hi-fi system with a wider and wider uh bandwidth of uh, of uh, of sound Believing oh, that the beat. anyway, <laughs> that's probably just a bit irrelevant. But <laughs> it, it, and really, I'm saying I don't quite understand it, but mm. I think it is hard to grasp without actually trying it. And I'm thinking, actually, David, I could be giving you the chance to to try that before this conversation, mm -hmm. which might have been helpful. But I, I was also observing as you were talking, Leah, that the way that you um, you used your body during that explanation was actually very indicative of what of what happens that raising shoulders with the kind of like tension and as people brace themselves and then the calming and 
the shoulders dropping and thinking that this is a conversation people really should watch perhaps um because actually as you speak it it was easier to get a sense of of what happens yeah it's an um i think this is is it pairs so well with any other modality. So with EMDR, with somatic experiencing, with traditional psychotherapy, with all these different modalities, it really is a, a, a practical application of polyvagal theory. So to say that we have this theory that names out, right, what your nervous system goes through um, on any given moment as there is either threat or cues of safety that your system is experiencing. And what do you do with that then right, is the question. Do you just talk about it? And talking about it can be really helpful, but is there a way, and there is through the SSP, is one of the ways to practically apply this beautiful theory uh, that Stephen Porges has created. Thank you, Leah. So move, moving on, mm. for people, people who, who aren't familiar with uh, polyvagal theory, can you tell us a bit about, about that and why it links up and why it's relevant to SSP? Yeah, absolutely. So polyvagal theory, um, it's often called the science of safety. And at its very basis, um, I've personally can boil it down to say, we are created to be in relationship. We are relational human beings. And within that context of relationship, we need things to be safe in order to be our best. The, there's three guiding principles or anchor points into polyvagal theory that might be helpful for folks to know. And this is all centered around the autonomic nervous system. So your nervous system that is doing things in the background all the time that are important for you to stay alive, like your heartbeat and your digestive system and breathing, all these things that we don't consciously think about that happen in order for us to live. When your nervous system comes into any experience, we have this uh, subconscious, below consciousness um, uh, surveillance system. Dr. Porges calls it neuroception. And we all have this. It's like, a, um, it's like one of our superpowers as humans or as mammals. And it's this surveillance system that is detecting for cues of danger or safety four times every second. And we can't turn it off. It's always happening, very similar to the digestive system or your heartbeat's always happening. And so your system, your nervous system, your physical body is looking for danger, making sure that it's keeping you safe four times every second. So that's the neuroception part of this. And say there is an element of danger or perceived threat within your environment. There, uh, this, the, another anchor point of polyvagal theory is this hierarchical nature to say that based on evolution, we have a hierarchical nature of the way that our system will respond to any cues of threat or safety. Our first state of response is called ventral. And this is a state that is built in social connection. And so I might put this in a really clear example and say you're walking down the street 
and your neuroception, right? You're, you're figuring out, are we in danger? Are we in safety? We're looking around. There's lots of novelty because you're walking down the street and there's people there and birds and noises, all the sensory information. And say someone is walking directly towards you and your system goes, I'm not sure what's going on. And they're walking towards you and you're neurocepting. I'm uncertain about this. Your first way of engaging might be to smile and say, oh, excuse me, or oh, sorry, and, and socially engage with this person to try to fend off um, their, their perceived threat, whether or not they're threatening or not, that they might be a fine human being. And say that this person then, um, You've, you've used your social engagement system, but they continue to walk towards you. Your nervous system has then this next uh, state in the hierarchy and your sympathetic nervous system comes online. Uh, uh, categorized in fight or flight, typically, but your sympathetic nervous system is your mobilization. So this person or this threat is still coming towards you and your system mobilizes to say, okay, uh, either I might engage and say, you know, excuse me with a bit of charge in my system uh, as in a fight, or I might try to dodge and get away as in a flight. Your sympathetic nervous system is to mobilize you um, to do something about the situation. Mm -hmm. I'm realizing that my example here is going to break down because it's not likely this person is going to <laughs> hurt you or anything on the street. So I might, uh, I'm going to shift over into a relational dynamic where you know this person and uh, say you start getting in an argument because you know each other and you're, both your sympathetic nervous systems are, are hanging out and they're getting really charged and amped up. And then all of a sudden your system, not your cognitive brain, but your system um, decides or makes uh, makes the impulse toward the fact that you are not going to survive by hashing it out or uh, fighting or flighting. And so the last stop on the hierarchical system of our nervous system is called dorsal. And dorsal is this shutdown system. You see this in animals in the wild where, uh, say, a prey, um, there's a real interesting couple of interesting videos online. Um, one of them is of a possum who gets caught by a coyote. And the possum's system knows, I cannot fight. I cannot flee. I need to shut down. And shut down in your system, in your nervous system, looks like this. Yeah. So if you've felt like you're not getting anywhere in an argument, or maybe you're getting, you're getting so stressed, so much allostatic load, so much threat that your, your nervous system says, okay, the best way for us to survive is to shut down. The possum feigns death. His head goes like this. And it's a really intelligent uh, way to survive. Because guess what the coyote does? 
well, you're no fun. And I'm not no longer interested in you. He gets distracted by something else and he runs away because his prey is has has died. But because the, the well, I won't get into all of that. It saves the possum's life. Playing possum, yeah. Yeah, good one. And so humans do that too, right? We feign death, we feign death, we shut down. It could look like this. It could look like shame. Um, there's so many different hues of the way that this might show up. Mm. Mm. Um, but it is uh, important to stress that none of these states are negative in any way. There's no, there's no badness to them. They're all incredibly intelligent and your system uh, can be patterned by these experiences, especially through trauma. So if someone's listening to this and saying, well, I feel like that a lot, but there's no threat around me. Like I'm safe, but my body doesn't feel like it knows that. Our system can become patterned by experiences to be on high alert for threat that may or may not be there. This is where something like the SSP, the Safe and Sound Protocol, is really helpful because it can interrupt this feedback loop and bring us back into that first hierarchical nature that I talked about, the ventral vagal, um, and so that our system is congruent or aligned with the safety that is around you. Um, Great. Sounds good. So, so who was it originally attended for? Yeah, Dr. Porges, um, the first folks that it, we did uh, two different studies on were uh, kiddos on the autism spectrum. So a lot of sensory things, right? A lot of uh, nervous systems being in a state of defense a state of uh, threat because of whether it's sensory processing challenges or um, you not, uh, not fully being able to engage with social cues that are meant to be giving cues of safety. And both of the studies had incredible results. And uh, as of four or five years ago, we started realizing, or there became this, this notion that, wait, wonder what would this would do with folks who have experienced trauma and since um so have have worked already in the ot market quite a bit with the ssp and have since become really curious around um all different types of trauma settings and the nervous system has since had really really incredible um impacts on folks who have experienced trauma um, and I, I, I'm one of them. Um, the SSP absolutely changed my life. So when you say who it's meant for, broadest answer, it's meant for anyone with a nervous system, including animals. Some folks are using it with uh, dogs who have experienced trauma, horses who have experienced trauma. Um, and then drilling down, uh, it will be most impactful for a nervous system that has had either chronic stress or trauma um, and, and 
bringing some relief to those places. Thank you. So slightly that it involves listening to five hours of music, not all in one, not all in one go. Uh, but can you just break that down a little bit more into terms of what the, what the pragmatics are of it, so that people listening would have a sense of what the kind of commitment of that is, and also one of the things that I thought was actually for some services it would be great if they trained somebody to use this because actually their likelihood is there's many patients in their service that could benefit from access to this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yes, it is five hours and that when we say five hours, um, there are multiple different pathways of the safe and sound protocol, meaning that there are different, uh, uh, different options that have different levels of filtration. And the purpose of that is to meet someone's system where it's at. So for example, one of those pathways is called connect and connect has no filtration. And so it's just getting the nervous system used to or comfortable with listening to music. And then there's the second pathway that's called core and core has, uh, it was the original pathway. So it's the one that has the uh, filtration in it. And it is the one that's doing the most, well, I won't even say the most because it really depends on the human, but it has, uh, yes, the greatest amount of filtration and is therefore um, engaging the system in a therapeutic manner uh, most intensely, if you will. And then the last pathway is called balance. And balance has a moderate amount of filtration. And so I'll narrow in on core just for simplicity's sake, and that it is five hours, a couple of different options between an adult program, a child's program, and a classical program that had, doesn't have any uh, words to it. So you would pick one of those, and then guiding someone through those five hours, and I say this often because I think it is so applicable to the SSP, there are a million and one ways to do art. And I say that because the SSP is really uh, uh, flexible in the way that someone would integrate it into their existing practice or their existing frame of reference. And um, dependent on the nervous system in front of you, the nervous system that's actually taking in those cues, um, you would titrate appropriately, just like you would maybe with medication to say, okay, well, Today, it's, it's feeling like your nervous system um, or based on the cues that we're both seeing from your nervous system, it's feeling like we need to do less listening today. And people can do anywhere between five minutes of listening, five to 10 minutes of listening, all the way up to an hour, all dependent on uh, the client's background, uh, their goals, what else is going on therapeutically, and what other modalities are you pairing with the SSP um, in order to make it most robust or most therapeutic. Um, and I will just name here that uh, the SSP is very agnostic in that it loves holding hands with EMDR. It loves holding hands with uh, uh, NEOT practices or sensory integration. It loves holding hands with IFS. It loves holding hands with all the other modalities that are out there. Um, so it's really a, a beautiful pairing in that way. Does that help? 
Thank you. Yes, and, and in terms of, there's no difference, is there, in terms of whether you choose the adult music, the child's music or the classical? I mean, I have to say myself, I prefer the classical music because the adult music is such a wide selection of taste that it kind of is going to please nobody. So it's a bit like listening to lift music, I personally think. But that's the point is not to be listening to to pleasant music, is it? It's, to, it's, the, it's the experience of it. Um, whereas, and I, but I've also found that people who have a background in music sometimes perhaps find it a bit irritating because it's not doing what they expect it to do. Have you encountered that? Yes. Um, I, I'm, um, <laughs> it's making me chuckle because um, the music itself can be irritating uh, to the nervous system beyond just someone who's experienced the SS, or I'm sorry, experienced or has background in music. Um, when the music is irritating to a client, it becomes really intriguing, I think, for the provider that's doing the delivery because it offers up many therapeutic opportunities. What's it like to be irritated? Let's pause. Let's pause the music. Um, what's that like? What's it like to be irritated and be able to have some, some say in whether or not this continues? The irritation, um, sometimes when our system is moving out of uh, especially dorsal and back into ventral, it does need to go through the sympathetic uh, experience in order to go into ventral. I mean, it doesn't get to skip it. <laughs> and so when someone's coming into irritation, I get really curious and really interested um, that it's not that, oh, that means what we shouldn't do this. It's a, huh, well, isn't that interesting? And I've had many of my clients say, um, <laughs> just poke fun at it, which is also, you know, if we can, if we can both poke fun at the fact that the music sounds kind of funny, that's also therapeutic um, because we can both say, oh, isn't that funny? And um, is it okay to, for it to be annoying? Um, and, and some clients don't find it annoying. I actually, I, I personally really like the child playlist um, and, and I've found it still, I've been through the SSP I think six times now um, and still find it to be enjoyable to listen to. So yeah. And a lot of the people that listen to our podcast are working in secure settings where there's quite limited availability of um, access to technology on the internet. Um, what are the requirements for somebody? Can you talk us through what the requirements would be if a service wanted to make this available to their patients in their service, what, they, what that would entail? Yeah, yeah, as far as the um, the equipment necessary. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the equipment that is necessary is um, headphones, typically over the ear headphones, so the ones that are cupping your ear like this. And then um, a device so that any client is going to access the SSP through an app that can be downloaded on either uh, any, an iPhone or Android. And so um, technology-wise, uh, something that is able to connect to the internet that can download that app and, and then those headphones. 
And for the therapist side, there's a, uh, a, it's called My Unite. It's a dashboard where you see all of your clients, all where they are in their progress. There is a, a full assessment function on there. So you can send assessments to your clients and um, many, many, many different ones to choose from along with uh, a whole host of resources. Um, Unite Resources is very robust. We are constantly adding to it. And that is just a, a part of your subscription, a part of you accessing the SSP. Mm. Is, that, is that helpful? Well, yeah, I, I also wonder just, is, are there any plans to make, because some of the services that the that, that listeners were working clients won't easily have access to the internet um, and certainly wouldn't have access to a mobile phone so it, it, like can it be used via a computer with a staff member for instance so it's under supervision um, it's it, it doesn't have to be downloaded onto a phone for somebody to be able to use that. No, you could download it um, an iPad would work just as well as well as a, a computer um, a Mac computer uh, and check me on this. I'll, I'll need to make sure that this is true, but I do know that you can download it onto a um, Mac specifically, and it would just be through the app and um, that anyone, wherever you can download the app, you can access the music. Thank you. And what, what kind of benefits, what kind of impact does it have on people? What, what are the sorts of things you've seen? Yeah. Yeah. Um, a whole host of benefits, uh, namely, Folks who have hyperacusis or are hypersensitive to sound, that can be an incredibly um, distorting way to experience the world around you and create uh, uh, feelings of threat in the system. And, and so lowering, it lowers this uh, hypervigilance to sound or hypersensitivity to sound. Um, and as much as, as we might think of high sounds when I say that, Poor just talks about uh, the low sounds that many of us maybe don't even hear or recognize consciously, but like the hum of a refrigerator or the hum of the air conditioning, that those can be giving cues of danger into the system um, and, and lowering the sensitivities to that or the hypersensitivities to it. And um, as well as bringing on what, Dr. Porges calls the social engagement system. So that's that first, the first hierarchy, um, hierarchical uh, uh, state that I named earlier is so the ventral vagal system. Bringing that online, which allows someone to not only connect with themselves, better uh, identifying what is it that I'm feeling? What is it that I'm experiencing? What is it that I need? but also to be able to take in cues from other people and um, more accurately read them. So a smile is really a smile and uh, uh, maybe an empathetic um, hand on the shoulder is really that. Which is really important when you're highlighting those kind of like sensitivities, because I think both David and I have worked in services where actually a smile has um, misinterpreted you know that a smile could, could kind of be well why 
why are they smiling? What do they want? When someone's mm-hmm. got a background in, you know, if you've got a background of being sexually abused and mm-hmm. perhaps the person who was nice to you and was smiling and being kind when a lot of other people were not being, um, mm-hmm. it can be easy to assume that the person's got an ulterior motive. But I was, you know, interested in the that sensitivity to sound. And I think back, that's what first got me exploring um this protocol actually through ILS was working in services where there were patients who were so sensitive to sound that they couldn't the sound of anyone whistling or the sound of pool balls um, outside their prison cell and in fact it was causing a lot of conflict because they assumed that officers were whistling all the time or whistling deliberately to goad them or wind them up when there was no evidence of that actually happening it's just they were so sensitive to the sound within the environment and it was um it was obviously um, prior to covid and started exploring this sort of thing and then dropped off the radar for for a while so it's interesting to to hear that because i think those are not infrequent issues that people face within forensic services but is, is there anyone who is there any risk of side effect is there anyone who shouldn't be um exploring or making use of safe and sound yeah you know we have a list of um it's not even a list there's a there's a document that names the different precautions that someone might want to take as they're thinking about either going through the ssp or even more so um the therapist holding that and saying well we might not go through the ssp if um and the list is fairly short or small for the contraindications, um, active bipolar and seizures is another one. Um, and then there are just a couple others and uh, you'll have to forgive me, I don't know them off the top of my head, um, but that document is really helpful and the, the perceived risk of the SSP is very, very low. It's such a passive, um, gentle, uh, uh, when when delivered with intentionality and delivered with that particular unique nervous system in mind, it's a very gentle, passive um, approach that rather than, um, I want to use a metaphor like yanking the nervous system somewhere or saying, well, we're, we're going this way, it's an invitation. And it seems as if, again, using metaphor that the nerve, that the SSP offers the nervous system an invitation to take in little sips of safety. And one of, one of the things that's quite nice about it, I think, is that emphasis on not pushing through. So I, I guess that is protective that because you don't want somebody to push through if it's feeling aversive or unpleasant to do you might be some curiosity about why something isn't appealing but you're not encouraging somebody to just grit their teeth and and get through it are you yeah yeah dr porges um one of his first tenants and one of the tenants that has stayed around this entire time is less is more um less is more and the entire the entire experience of the SSP is meant to be building up safety. And so if at any point uh, a therapist or the provider um, is feeling their own 
parts or their own experience around, well, we need to X, Y, Z. It's a really good reminder, I think, to our, to the providers themselves, like, oh no, that's not what this is about. It's not about a, we need to, it's about, I'm here, you're here. And this is, this is creating the container, the conditions for, um, relationship, the conditions of safety. And maybe just on that note, we've emphasized the music itself um, quite a bit in this conversation, and it is so, so powerful and beautiful. And the provider themselves is 50% of the equation. And so um, the ways that the music is, is entering into the system, allowing the system to become more relational in nature. If me as a provider, if I'm not there as a as a um, as a container or as a as a face that's saying, yeah, yeah, this is what relationship feels like, or yeah, this is what safety feels like. I'm I'm just as important as the music itself to help the nervous system move into that state of ventral vagal and into that state of social engagement. You're talking then, it reminded me actually of working in psychiatric service for women, where a lot of the women had a history of being sexually abused. And the the treats, which was intended to be a nice thing that nursing staff would often do, would be to spend time with the women, helping them groom themselves, so making their hair look nice, putting on makeup. And of course, people who have a history of being sexually abused quite often find that quite a frightening thing to do because of course they don't want to, they've they've invested in not looking physically appealing or not trying to stand out and as, as you were talking I was thinking actually the safe and sound is a much nicer way to spend time with somebody and give them the reinforcement of some relational experience rather than doing their hair making them look more beautiful which could be could be quite threatening for some people can safe and sound be used to enhance performance or well-being in non-clinical populations? So does Renny, has there been any work done on that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. You know, um, I'll first just say yes, yes, and um, we at Unite, our intention um, is to, oh, I'll go back to our mission, every nervous system. Everybody, um, every person, whether you've had a complex and um, heavy experiences of trauma throughout your life, or if you've, um, if what you would describe is, well, I just feel stressed a lot. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure if there is a single person on this earth who's not like, you know, um, it's a little bit stressful to be a human. <laughs> and so, yes, just because someone uh, may not be in, um, you know, a, a, an IOP program or um, in a specific clinical institution doesn't mean that they can't benefit from the SSP. We've had um, a, many therapists, but then also going out into uh, different ways of healing. So I'm thinking of body workers body workers use the SSP and um, many school systems have started to adopt it as well. Occupational therapists I named and then um, sports 
and sports performance, uh, along with coaching, um, provided that coaches have uh, um, a number of different uh, trainings, um, specifically like somatic experiencing, if there's an SEP who's also a coach, that they would be able to use the SSP. So similarly in the way that, that um, you see other modalities that are really saying, wow, the need is so great. The need is so great um, that how can we empower people to be using something that's going to bring a bit more safety into the world? And, and that is part of our mission. Thank you. What, what research has been carried out on Safe and Sound? Mm-hmm. We have lots of different research studies underway right now, which is actually really exciting. Mm-hmm. And then I named those two studies uh, that had been done at the very beginning. And that was following a a five, the five hour protocol done over five days. It was done in a very specific, um, uh, specific way for the research study itself. Folks can learn more about our research on our website. And I can link that if that's helpful um, for you all. And it names all the different research studies that we're doing, but also, and we really believe in real world evidence. We have a number of case studies um, that have been submitted by our providers, as well as uh, uh, gathering information, not just from specifically clinical research studies, but gathering information from the entire provider population um, and, and building up our evidence that way. Thank you. Well, yeah, just to follow on from that a bit, what kind of uh, barriers has uh, Unite had to overcome in collecting the research data? Mm, It's a good question. Uh, I'll first name that this is not my, this is not my, I'm not a researcher. (laughs) Um, So I'm I'm, uh, venturing outside my scope here. Um, But the, there are a number of, barriers that um, are not overcomable, right? And, and I think we're doing a fantastic job in overcoming them. But the what's interesting is many insurances, um, especially in the US um, and broader institutions, they're, they're uh, uh, leaning into and saying, well, we, we cannot either reimburse for this or we cannot adopt this without the evidence itself. And sometimes you need folks who are those larger partners to partner with you to get the evidence. It's like the classic, um, you don't have enough experience for this job, but I'm only going to get the experience if someone hires me, right? Um, and so, yeah, that that being a barrier, but our our intention to work around it and be um, mindful in the way that we collect real world evidence is one way that we're that we're still building up the evidence base for the SSP. And our director of research education and training, Rebecca Knowles, is a she's an OT herself and a researcher, and has just done a fabulous job in creating a strategy that is both nimble as we build up our evidence and, and effective. And because it makes sense that folks would wanna know like, hey, does this, does this actually work? And that is a completely legitimate question. Um, so we're well on our way. It's always a tricky one, isn't it? Because I think in terms of, we, there would be no innovation if we only ever deliv- delivered evidence-based 
practice and I think also certain certainly certain therapeutic models like CBT for instance is very easy to manualize and make make it's very easy to make that researchable in a way that um, some other approaches might not be so we wouldn't get any innovation with that research but obviously we are interested in um in understanding kind of like what what there has been around what the thinking has been around safe and sound protocol but we will also share in the we usually put the tr- transcript on substack and we'll put a link to that part of the website on oh, part great. of the conversation so i don't mean to feel as as if um we've put you up too much on the spot by asking oh you're okay there, oh. So. yeah yeah and it is important right i love that you said that naomi the the both and of innovation and groundedness, right? Um, That is one of our, our, we have many values at Unite, but I would say that that's one of our values. How can we be um, pressing up against the envelope and being really curious about what it is that we don't know and being okay with that? There are things that we don't know yet. And as well as grounding ourselves in in top-notch neuroscience, grounding ourselves in um, principles that say we can hang our hat on this as much as we're pushing the envelope or as much as we're exploring the unknown. Thanks for that. You've been very uh, uh, open in your answers, I must say. So thanks a lot for that. So um, just to to go on to the question, in fact, earlier on you described safe and sound protocol as um, um, being a, an agnostic mm-hmm. approach um, and, and could therefore work with, with many other kinds of therapies. Is there anything you'd want to add to that? Mm-hmm. If Don't feel you have to. Oh, I'm just seeing, I'm seeing. Well, I'll, I'll add that um, we believe that so much at Unite that we've developed a number of different guide, pardon me, number of different guidelines. So one of them is combined delivery of EMDR and SSP. And the other is a combined delivery of uh, somatic experiencing and SSP. And so we, we learn, Unite learns so much from our provider network. Our providers that are using this tool in their practice daily, and um, it's it's fun to be on the Unite side because you're like, okay, what are what are they going to do next? <laughs> um, and each time we're like, oh, we have this really exciting thing. Our provider network is like, yeah, we've been doing that. We love that, and and it's a real beautiful partnership. And so. Um, one of the ways that we hoped to come alongside our network that has already been integrating SSP into these different modalities is to create these guidelines and say, well, what if we were to gather a host of folks around to sort out what would be the most effective, safe and powerful way of bringing these two things together? Let's write that down. Let's put it in a guideline so that other folks can avoid mistakes maybe that were you know, learned from by other providers, as well as uh, give them a trail to go up the mountain. Um, I think we all, as people in the helping professions um, are strapped, right? There's no shortage of work. And so any ways that Unite can come alongside and say, well, how can we make this easier for you? Um, and the guidelines were one of those things. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that brings us nicely to the next point, really, because I think one of the things I've found with the platform um, is that there, there seems to be some, there's a degree of integrity and generosity of spirit there that you don't always find in. So, you know, having done some therapeutic trainings, where it's often felt like lots of subsequent things will be offered, but there's always a cost to all of those things. And there's a and, and not that I resent paying for CPD, but there's something about um, actually, I, I, I think the fact that you have lots of further free trainings, the free case consultation, um, access to psychometrics that are very relevant. And that I suppose that seems to be quite intentional that you're working as a business where it's not just looking for how, how, how do you get money out of people, but also there's a there is a sense of a community there. I suppose I wondered how how will your company hold on to that sense of integrity as it grows grows larger? I'm assuming it's intentional. Um, and mm. so, you know, if that's part of who you are as a as a company, how do you how do you do that when business requires more, perhaps? Mm. That's such a good question. That is such a good question. Um Oftentimes, the way that we describe our company is we're a purpose-based, a purpose-based company. If we lose that purpose, we've lost who we are. And um, from our leadership to our board, to every person that works there, we're only 35-ish people. So we're, we're teeny tiny. <laughs> um, every single person believes that. And what I think is beautiful about that is when, and I, I say when, not if, we're all human to be sure. When something like that were to happen, if we went slightly awry or slightly askew or were um, driven by something other than our purpose, um, you better believe that there will be other people in the company that will all say, wait a minute. Yeah. This isn't what, this isn't who we are. Who are we? What do we believe? And it's, it's very interesting imposes unique challenges to be a purpose-based company in an environment like capitalism that's interesting and i think there's there's many companies that do it well and we aim to be one of them that says what does it mean to to create resources and give them away generously what do we believe that that will do in the in our provider network or our our, our slice of this ecosystem, um, how can we be uh, an example that other companies might look to and say, yeah, that's the path that we want to go down? I think my most specific answer to your question is the way that you hold on to that generosity of spirit and intentionality as you grow is for each person to fully buy into the mission and then uphold that mission or use that mission as a lens to make any decision that comes your way. Thank you. 
And finally, because we, we've come to the end of time, really, but beyond um, Safe and Sound Protocol, what else do you do to look after your emotional and mental well-being? No, oh, that's such a nice question. Um, it's interesting. I, I was just emailing back a client around something similar this weekend. And um, one of the things that I do is... I really love IFS. I love the way that it has changed me looking at the world, me looking at myself and other humans. And That's internal so, family systems for anyone, yes. anyone listening. Yeah. 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 Um, and something that I have found for my own self is um, anytime that I'm not feeling uh, centered, grounded, um, the, the eight C's of self, if anyone is interested in looking those up, curious, confident, calm, uh, there's a number of other ones. Um, I put my hand on my heart and I say, oh, I hear you. And whatever part of me is needing attention or whatever part of me is feeling some type of way, um, I hear them and I don't banish them. And I don't say you can't feel that way. And I don't say be quiet. I say, I hear you. And, and you'll see this actually often. Um, if you've seen like uh, events with me doing this or anything else, I do this in meetings. <laughs> um, and that is probably the primary way I take care of myself is by trying to show each one of my parts that you belong here. And I hear you. Um, and I'm going to take care of you. Also, that's, I mean, you're really tapping into something that's used in, in other approaches as well, aren't you? In sensory motor psychotherapy, they're quite keen of harnessing the, that, the skin's inability to really detect mm. the difference. So the fact that if we voice out loud reassuring words, our ears hear that very differently mm. than if we say it's thoughts in our head and that ability to touch and our bodies difficulty in discerning a difference between our own touch and somebody else's touch so enough so that we can get that bit of reassurance out of it so it's really nice to hear you um mm. draw on those things really we have we have not had that response previously from any of our guests even though we asked that question over a hundred times now um oh. just, so yes thank you very much Leah for giving us your time today that's been great and I know you've had a really early start in order to make this meeting with us. So thank you, it's really appreciated. Oh, I'm so grateful to spend the time with you. Um, and thank you both for what you do. I think the voices that you're bringing on, the ways that you're investing your time and um, who you're hoping to reach is all really important. And it takes every single one of us. We cannot do this alone. Um, so I'm very grateful for both of you. Thank Thanks you. very much indeed, Yeah, That's really great to uh, meet with you.